0: This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. This is episode four and today's topic is You Can Learn to Fly Fish Too. It all started for me on a little stream in the Black Hills of South Dakota. It was a magical evening when the surface of a little trout stream was boiling with those 10 to 12 inch brookies. Man, you gotta love catching brook trout. Oh, I know. They're the best, aren't they? Well, my brother Dave and I were young teens then, and we had recently purchased an $18 fiberglass fly rod between (laughs) the two of us. Uh, get this, Dave, complete with a $5.99, that's $5.99 Martin reel. And I think the fly line was slightly higher quality than a rope. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we were really, we were only aware of two flies, a renegade and a royal coachman. And to be honest, I don't remember which one we used, maybe both. But uh, but even though we, we beat the water to a froth with our casting, th- those fish rose like magic and took our fly, and uh, we were, pun intended, we were hooked. I mean, you do have to love those brookies. <laughs> I think
1: if you want to enjoy fly fishing and you're aspiring to grow in fly fishing, go brook trout fishing.
0: Absolutely. That's what got us started. Well, today on our podcast, we're talking about the crazy adventure of learning to fly fish, It will make you frustrated, happy, mad, and glad that you did. Uh, You can do it with a modest budget and little experience as long as you're persistent. So Dave, tell me, how did you get started? I have to confess, Steve,
1: and to the audience that you got me started And back in 1980 when I first met you, uh, I remember... Purchasing a Fenwick fly rod, <laughs> and um, it was an eight foot six weight, I believe. Wow! And uh, you know, I grew up in North Dakota. Yeah, those Dakota. things
0: were those things were slightly uh, uh, better quality than a cane pole, weren't they? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! And at the time, though, it felt it was so different from a regular fishing pole. I grew yeah. up in North Dakota, as I mentioned on earlier podcasts. You know, I've caught a lot of bass, northern walleye, catfish, and yes, quite a few bullheads. As I was growing yeah. up, but not until I met you did I actually try my hand at fly fishing. And I must say, I'm not a snob. I'm going to be taking my youngest son to North Dakota in a week or so uh, to, you know, go walleye and northern yeah. fishing. But you know, there's something about fly fishing that is so special. So, yeah. you know, I remember that. We started, was it Blankenbaker Flats that we went on that fly fishing trip a few weeks in? Yeah, you know,
0: I'm afraid though we were still using spinners, still throwing hardware. (laughs) I think I did bring my fly rod. Yeah, I I think we both did. We did a little fly fishing. I mean, we were were kind of uh, trying to do both. I think it was a brook trout stream, wasn't it? Yeah, there were brookies. I think there might have been a little rainbow or two. But yeah, that was up in the Little Belt Mountains of Montana.
1: I remember, what was it, like a five- or six-hour hike? How far was it back? Yeah, I'm trying I think to it
0: was. It was a ways in there. Yeah, and you sprained your ankle, too, didn't you? I was. <laughs> we had these uh, big backpacks, you know, 40 pounds of st- of gear and our tents and everything
1: there was this gorgeous waterfall
0: oh yeah and the
1: stream uh went over a cliff and and um i remember catching oh, those little brook trout in that it in was that hole right there it was really amazing it was
0: beautiful in fact i thought we were in a wilderness area until the day we left remember that we woke up in that morning and uh what was it? There were a bunch of motors, motorbikes, dirt bikes that were back in there. It was so depressing because yeah, we had hiked five or six miles I know. thinking we were way back like, in. Man, we had to rode a dirt bike in there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but for the first 15 years, uh, I really only fished dry flies, which is... Fishing on the surface. Yeah. I didn't use mm-hmm. nymphs. Right. Uh, I may have fished some streamers now and then. I remember uh, doing that in 1985. Yep, the, old on, bugger, yeah, huh? the old woolly bugger. We yeah, the old woolly bugger. Yeah,
0: and for those listeners who are new to fly fishing, yeah, dry flies, as Dave said, are, are on the surface. You see them float and you see the fish take them. But uh, streamers, uh, nymphs, uh, those are part of the category called wet flies, and it's because you, you fish them under the surface. Uh, they get wet. Uh, unlike dry flies, which are always stay dry, <laughs> yeah, right, not really. Yeah, they're, they're wet, but yeah, I just think dry fly above the surface, wet fly under the surface.
1: Yeah. It wasn't until it had to be in the mid '90s when I um, I actually helped someone else fly fish. It was a friend uh, at work, and he wanted to learn how. So I, we were living in Chicago, and we went up to the Driftless. And I tell you, within a year. He and his son, because he invited his son along, were out fishing me, and I went, "What?" And, um, and so <laughs> I started to learn how to nymph, and it took me really a long time. In fact, I would argue that to this day, nymphing is my is definitely my weak uh, part of my fly fishing.
0: Oh yeah, really. I think for me, it's uh, it's it's streamers sometimes. It's
1: so yeah. there's so much to know and so mm-hmm. much to um, so much to be aware of. When yeah, fishing beneath the surface. Um, so I would say it was 1980 and, you know, thanks to you, um, you know, it has become something that's been a passion of mine for the last 35 years. Cool. So Steve, tell me what's the backstory of fishing in the Black Hills? I didn't even know there were trout in the Black Hills, South Dakota. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, yeah, here's, here's my story. I grew up spinner fishing for trout on, on ultralight rods with MEP spinners and then I think my uncle Ivan got me into making homemade spinners. So I remember I, those. I actually. Yeah. actually
1: started taking that up when we met. So you weren't a pure fly. For
0: <laughs> no, that no, then. I was never a purist. That was uh, uh, that was back in the day. And, and I had a lot of fun with that. But it, really what changed it all for me was every summer when I was in high school, our family spent... Uh, about a week or two of vacation in the Colorado Rockies and uh, we'd camp in Rocky Mountain National Park and they had the the campground we camped at Moraine Park uh, had a fly fishing demonstration every week and it was led by a ranger named Jerry Williams I'll never forget that guy he was actually from Texas but man was he a good fly fisherman and he would do a demonstration at the little campground amphitheater. But then, when he was done, we'd always go down over the hill to the Big Thompson River, which is really more like a creek. And uh, he would he would catch a fish, I guess, he on his fly rod. And he said that he was only skunk like once in 20 years. And
1: of giving that training and then yeah, walking down, and yeah. it's amazing
0: it is although they're brook trout you know there we go yeah you you know. so we were all impressed but you know brook trout are not always that hard to catch so anyway he he did that he showed us what flies to use and and he showed us how to fly cast and so that's what resulted in in my brother dave and me buying our our first uh fly rod together we we shared it because neither of us were all in we were still you know using our homemade spinners Well then after I moved to Montana, I really rode the fence. I dabbled in fly fishing and I caught fish when I fished with people who knew what they were doing. Uh, First place I lived in Montana was Helena, the capital city. And I remember going out with a friend who was really a great fly fisherman and he took me out to the Missouri and, and he had a drift boat. and I remember catching a huge brown on a on a fly rod, and, and it was a lot of fun. It was, it was just enough to keep me going, but then I would fish on my own, and things didn't go so well. And then I moved to the Bozeman area in 92, and still there was four years of, of really hit and miss. I would uh, lug my fly gear along but I'd have my spinning rod and finally in in 1996 I took a fly tying class from a guy named Bob Granger I think I talked about that in an earlier podcast and that's when I gave up spin fishing for good not that I'm an elitist but I just started having so much fun fly fishing for trout so I you know I bought an Orvis uh, graphite nine foot six weight rod that spring after I took that fly tying class, and and I never looked back. Yeah, you know, you do need the right gear to get going. You also yeah.
1: need you need some winds, right? And I yeah, think, you really do. Um, you know, trying to find streams that that you know they're you're catching fish. You yeah. need that just to feel like you're making progress in, in the skill of fly yeah. fishing.
0: Yeah, let's talk about that. What's some of the right gear you need to get started? I mean, the, the obvious is you you need a rod, and you know here you you have to be careful. I, I wouldn't just buy the cheapest thing that's out there, but there's a lot of uh, you know there's a lot of fly rods for about a hundred bucks that, that are going to serve you well. I mean, I and I think of some of the stuff that uh, TFO uh, puts out that, that's decent and. Uh, uh, of course, we, we both love Orvis stuff. Orvis is kind of the blue collar, isn't it? Yeah, you it really may is. pay three, four hundred bucks for a rod, but that rod will last you your life. In fact, these 25 year lifetime guarantees, I can't remember now which they do, but. Uh, I I bought a, a rod for 300 bucks. I think I've broken it twice. Yeah,
1: I've broken my Orvis rod twice, and they they keep
0: yep they keep uh, replacing. No. The only thing they don't replace is remember that time when you uh, uh, left your fly rod on the top <sighs> of a uh, top of our vehicle.
1: <sighs> Man, yeah. we, where were we fishing? You
0: know what? We were between we were near between Hebgen Lake and Quake Lake yeah, fishing Heb- the spring run for rainbows. But you know what? Actually, that was brilliant, Dave, because that was a cheap rod. So Dave lost that, and then you know, so then his wife <laughs> didn't Jana cheap didn't at get the time. Yeah, your wife Jana didn't get as upset when you bought an Orvis, <laughs> right?
1: Hmm, I don't remember yeah, her not getting upset. That's, but, yeah, right. that's right. Keep talking.
0: But really, if you spend between a 300, 350 bucks on a good rod. And then you need a decent reel, and, and I would say what maybe between sixty and a hundred bucks.
1: Yeah, some of those batten kills are a little over. Yeah, those Orvis batten
0: kills. I think when I started out they were like ninety-eight bucks. They're probably hundred and nine. But really, between rod, reel, and then you want a good floating fly line. Probably a uh, like if you get a weight forward taper, uh, you, you could get a double taper, and you can actually fish both sides of that. But I think nowadays the conventional wisdom is get a good weight forward uh, uh, taper and a good floating fly line. Really, you can do this. I'd say a rod reel floating line, probably between 250, 500 bucks for everything. And that'll be a nice outfit.
1: You know, I, I, uh, I was listening to a podcast recently and someone had written in and the podcaster was relaying the question to his audience. And the question had something to do with you know if I had I have fifteen hundred dollars you know I want to improve my gear and 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 the podcaster thankfully said to him you know if if you have fifteen hundred dollars use that money to fish more you don't need better gear
0: that's right and I just thought that was wise it so really true. is that really is oh and by the way let me say this too it's a fly rod not a fly pole. Uh, fly fishers do not use poles, and, and we get kind of <laughs> sensitive about that. Uh, so my wife, Priscilla, always teases me about that. Uh, Don't forget your fly pole, and she knows that'll make me mad. <laughs> Hopefully
1: I've not used that in the podcast today.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll edit all those out. Um, flies. Uh, wow, you know, go into a fly shop, and there's dozens of patterns. But really, all you have to do is to start with a few basic patterns. Uh, Dave, if you're starting with... Uh, uh, nymphs, uh, these these little nymphs. What what do you like? What are your favorites?
1: You know, I, I like the pheasant, those nymph pheasant tail yeah, nymphs, that's or a good the one. beadhead prince nymphs. Yep. As the top fly, and then mm-hmm. you know, depending on where you're at and the time of year, and and where you're fishing, you know, those small and black or small and red to drop off. Of
0: yeah, it. like a little um, copper john. Copper john, yeah, yeah or those mm-hmm. you know
1: some black. Thing that you can barely yep. see to you know th- so i think those are basic I, for some reason the pheasant the beadhead pheasant tail yeah. and the uh the beadhead prince nymph those two flies mm-hmm. are kind of universal flies they
0: really are they seem to work well as far as dry flies i would say start with uh, uh an adams pattern between size 14 to 18 is really good i like a parachute Adams. you can see those thing about a parachute, Adams, is it, it can be in a tractor pattern, but it also imitates uh, uh, what are called blue wing olives, BWOs. That, that's a very common uh, uh, mayfly pattern in, in the West. And so uh, that's, that's one you want to use. I really like a caddis fly. And, and even if uh, you're not in a caddis hatch, that's a really good fly uh, to use. It, it, uh, it'll hold a lot of water. It, it, it's easy to see. Uh, so th- those would be a couple. I mean, there, there's others, uh, pale morning duns, PMDs, that's, you know, th- that would be a third one. And then some of what are called the basic attractor patterns, which means they, they attract the trout, but, but we really don't have a clue what they're imitating. So uh, a royal wolf I like. There's several royal flies, royal coachman, royal trude, royal wolf. I like the royal wolf, the way it floats, uh, uh, I like the uh, the red and the yellow humpies just because there's a lot of hackle and those things take a lot of water. And then uh, you talked about streamers earlier. I'd say uh, uh, good night if if all you have is uh, is a black wooly bugger, maybe an olive wooly bugger. Those those can catch a lot of fish too.
1: And if you're fishing late summer, obviously the terrestrials. Oh, the absolutely, big you're I mean, right. Actually, I have to say there's it's probably nothing more fun but for oh, me. Yes. Than uh, floating a big hopper pattern and uh, oh, seeing I know them come it. out of the depths and grab that. Oh, it's just I know. Amazing. It.
0: And ant patterns, and, and really, we could go on. But the thing to do is, is go to a good fly shop and they'll tell you what's working. But remember those basic patterns. Uh, waders and boots would be another thing. Uh, that's pretty important, I guess, unless you plan to do all your fishing in the 80 and 90 degree temperatures in July and August. Right.
1: We always struggle sometimes when we're fishing uh, in the west in Yellowstone whether or not we should take our waders because sometimes a snow squall comes up and the water's really cold. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Always cold if you're. But we're tough, right? Yeah, we're really really hardened, aren't we? (laughs) Uh, I do have to laugh. I saw a guy, maybe we were fishing together last year in the Driftless in uh, Wisconsin and it was a really warm day, 85. And here's this guy and his waders. I tell you what, those things are hot. Uh, on a hot day but uh, man he was all decked out he looked like he just came out of uh, Cabela's catalog or something and <laughs> you
1: remember those neoprene waiters before the technology oh yeah improved? I know it those things were like an oven when you. Yeah,
0: oh, they were the worst but yeah a good pair of waiters and boots and again you can spend tons of money I I have a pair of Sims that, that a friend of mine who worked at Sims in Bozeman got for me at a discount price and I love them but honestly uh, you know, the Sims has a lot of high-end stuff, and quite frankly, I, I think sometimes uh, uh, you know, first-time fly fishers think, "Well, I have to have a pair of the best waders." No, you don't. I mean, spend 100 hundred, hundred fifty bucks, and and get a pair of decent boots. I, I almost think the boots are more important than the waders. I would-
1: Definitely agree yeah. with that. Yeah, get a good pair of boots. Yeah,
0: and then uh, to carry your gear, a uh, big old tackle box. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one thing I like about fly fishing. You leave the tackle box home. Um, I'm a fly fishing vest guy. Uh, you, know, you can get a decent vest. Again, uh, you can spend uh, you know tons of money and and. Really, something simple will do. I, I do like something that's kind of waterproof, not just cotton, but, but I'm a vest guy. Now, you've tried something new, haven't you, Dave? A
1: couple of years ago, I was fishing in Utah, and uh, we had a guide take us out, and it was a young guide, and he was fishing with a satchel, and, um, and I really liked it. I liked the idea of it, I should say, so I purchased one. I think it was from Pond.
0: Yeah, yeah. One of those they make brands. good stuff. Yeah.
1: And um, so I've been using it for the last two years. I'm, you know, every time I use it, I, I still wonder: Do I really like this? It's like having a all your gear in a salad bowl because it's all mixed up together. So if you're <laughs> yeah. very, um, you know, retentive and and uh, need everything in nice, neat. Boxes. Yeah, like me. <laughs> yeah, like you. Yeah. <laughs> not. Uh, yeah, like you. But I'm not sure a satchel would be for you. But yeah. I like it because. Um, there's a f- you know there's fewer um, pockets, and um, it's- for me, I can just reach in and grab stuff. So I yeah. really like it. And so right. um, it's something I've gone to, and I'm not saying I'll never go back to a vest. Yeah. But for the
0: moment, I like the satchel. Okay. And beware of this. Fly fishing is a gadget-intensive sport, and there's a fun side to that. I mean, I, I like... I like the new gadgets, and that can be kind of cool. and And I like good stuff. You mentioned Fish Pond, and, and I like the stuff that Orvis puts out in Sims. I love Sims stuff, but you know, you do have to be careful because, uh, especially when you first start out, you might think you need everything, and and uh, you, you really don't. You
1: know, years ago there was a fly shop. I think it was called Fly and Field in Glen Ellen, Illinois. I live in Wheaton, which is the next suburb to the west. I remember one afternoon popping over there and just, I often would just walk in and kind of drool over all the gear yeah. and there was a guy, you know, very corporate looking, uh, gentleman who walked in and said, Hey, I'm going to Alaska next week. And, uh, I've never fly fished before. Just, you know, tell me what I should purchase. And I think he walked out of there with, he had over, you know, a couple thousand dollars worth of gear. And I just thought, mm. my goodness, he's never going to use this again. I hope he has a yard sale. And yeah. I, pop by and buy it for like a 10th no, of the price. No kidding. uses it for the first time. So there's, there's a bunch of different types of fly fishers, you know, there's the tech yeah. heads and there's people who are highly technical with the patterns. And, and I think it's overwhelming when you begin fly fishing, cause you tend to listen mm-hmm. to those folks, but yep. there's some just basic things that you need that you don't, and you don't really need everything.
0: Yeah, you're right. So we've talked about the right gear. The other thing that you really need is the right guidance. And uh, one place that comes from would be from uh, friends who fly fish. And that's really huge, isn't it?
1: Well, it'd be sure great if you could find someone to, you know, help mentor you. Right. Like a, you know, I'm not sure mentor is the word. But someone who's better than you. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. actually will take you along. Right. Obviously, you know, for some, fly fishing is an is a individual sport. And um, for Stephen... I think we would rather f- fly fish with someone. Yeah. Partly mm-hmm. because when you catch the large fish, you want to mock the other person. That's
0: right. <laughs> right. Yes. Or at least have them come over and bring their net. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah.
1: Or And the other part is eating afterwards. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. No kidding. no kidding. No kidding. There's
0: nothing better than that. Yeah. So, um,
1: but I think for me, I've tried reading books, uh, watching yeah. videos, mm-hmm. but honestly steve so much of what i've learned comes from the guides oh yeah watched you know Mm -hmm. remember last summer we were fishing with Mm -hmm. a guide out in montana and just you know the way he talked about how reminding us to mend the line and and how to keep the tip up and some of these basics Mm -hmm. some of them are reminders but it's just good enough you know it's good to remember those again
0: yeah it is it's important and i know over the years i i just fish with friends that that they're, they're better than i am and And when you first get started, everybody's better than you are. But that's where you learn. You pick up a lot from those uh, people.
1: Well, Uh, I I do think um, you know. Really, it's hard for me to learn alone, and I need to watch someone, ask questions. Um, Mm -hmm. I once heard that. Well, I once heard someone say that the biggest failure in business is the is the failure to ask for advice. Hmm, makes and I sense. Think that's also true with fly fishing. It yeah. may feel embarrassing to ask guides or friends for advice, but I think you need to take the position as a newbie always. And I remember a couple years ago, uh, again when I was out in Park City, I remember thinking before we went out, and here the guide was a 22-year-old kid. You know, I was probably 30 mm-hmm. years older than he. But I was so impressed with his talent, and I said, you know, everything. I'm going to ask as many questions as I can ask. And I just learned a ton that afternoon. Mm-hmm. and you know fly fishing the technology is always improving and seems like with every generation they get better at it. Yeah, and, they uh, do. So it's, it's mm-hmm. being kind of a um, having a mentality of being teachable and it's that's that's right. so basic to learning the skill of fly fishing. Yeah,
0: it really is. Something else you can do is find a reputable fly shop and, and you'll pick up so much. Uh, there, there's probably one in your area and yes, even if you live in Chicago, I mean, there's an Orvis shop downtown Chicago and I've talked to those guys before and they, they know what they're doing. They, they fly fish. They, they've got good input. So find a good fly shop and, and especially if you're buying stuff from them. Uh, if you're just going asking questions and then you're buying everything online, that may be one thing. But if you're supporting them, that they're happy to give you advice and and they realize that that uh, you know if if you do well out on the river then you'll you'll continue in the sport and you'll you'll buy from them so uh, you get really good help from a a good fly shop
1: I would also say and and this is a bit derivative from what we've said earlier but to hire a guide occasionally yes a guide we mentioned this in an earlier podcast obviously it's expensive and it's not something you should do or can do every time you go out onto the water, but we try to do it, what, once a year maybe?
0: Yeah, we, we do, and, and that has, that's been so helpful. You you said it before, but every time we've done it, I, uh, I learn something new, and it, it really is invaluable. You know, something else, you can read a good book or watch a video, though like Dave said, there's no substitute for... Uh, being with somebody, seeing somebody in person. But there's some really good videos out there. Uh, we've talked about Gary Borger before. Uh, there's, you know, there's some other videos, but he's got a good book series. And you know, that stuff can really be helpful and, and at least can, can kind of help you on those uh, winter days in December when you're saying, man, I, I wish I was fly fishing. And you know, pick up a book, watch a, a video. All right, the topic for our next podcast is Reflections on a River Runs Through It, the book by Norman McLean. And in that conversation, Dave and I will talk about what fly fishing has taught us about life.
1: We'd love to hear from you. Go to twoguysinariver.com. That's two with a numeral. Twoguysinariver.com. Post your stories of how you got started fly fishing. And tell us about some of the best advice that you've received, and what you'd like to pass on to someone else.
0: That's right. What have you learned from from uh, some of your mentors and friends who have helped you, or maybe a guide that you fished with?
1: Be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook.
0: So I'm Steve Mathieson,
1: and I'm Dave Getz.
0: Until next time, we are two guys in a river.
1: For the love of fly fishing.